Hi, friends. I talk a lot about systems thinking on this podcast and thought I'd share one of the most potent actions you can take if you feel moved to be a different kind of leader for the 21st century. At Small Giants Academy, we developed our answer to the traditional MBA. We call it the MBE, a mastery of business and empathy. The MBE is a truly groundbreaking program which equips leaders with the tools, strategies, networks and philosophies to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up. This podcast is supported by our friends at Impact Investment Group and Giant Leap, a venture capital fund that invests in businesses doing good in the world. One of Giant Leap's key themes is health and well-being, which means that they look for innovative businesses improving physical and mental well-being in communities. Impact Investment Group is also a B Corp, a group of businesses dedicated to social and environmental change, while still making a buck. You can read more about Impact Investment Group by visiting dumbofeather.com forward slash by better by B. This podcast is brought to you by G Adventures. They help you connect to the world through small group travel. Their award-winning tours, safaris and expeditions bring you closer to their world, its people, their culture and their way of life. Because wherever you go and whoever you meet, you open yourself to change. And the more small changes we all make, the bigger our world becomes. Our world deserves more. Our world deserves more you. Hey there, listeners. Nathan from Dumbo Feather here. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about a very special offer we have for subscribers to Dumbo Feather. If you subscribe or renew before January 18, you can go into the running to win a $1,000 travel pack, thanks to our friends from Patagonia and Belroy. That's a $500 voucher for Patagonia and a $500 voucher for Belroy. It's our way of saying thank you for supporting us and the work we do, like this podcast. To find out more and enter, head to dumbofeather.com forward slash win. This month on the podcast, we're sharing a piece of spoken word storytelling by New Zealand-born writer and occupational therapist, Kirsten Taylor. I heard this story told live at the weekly service, a secular gathering that happens in Melbourne, where people share stories, contemplate ideas, and engage in conversation. I was captivated by Kirsten and her story from the moment she began, hanging on every word as she explored the changing relationship she's had with her body from a young person to now. We published the piece in the healing issue of Dumbo Feather, which is all about deepening awareness of the mind-body connection. Because it works as beautifully on the ear as it does on the eye, we invited Kirsten to Dumbo Feather HQ to retell the story for our podcast listeners. After midnight in the moon. 
Just like we used to do, I'm always walking after midnight, searching for you. I walk for miles along the highway. That's just my way of saying I love you. I'm always walking after midnight, searching for you. I'm always searching for you. I'm always searching for you. The lawns were crusted in silver frost when my mother and I left the house to go power walking at five in the morning. We crunched across people's front lawns, leaving footprints upon the grass. She walked hard and fast as if using her body to smash glass. She pummeled the chilled darkness, leading with her skull, her fists pumping like machinery. The route that took us uptown was my favourite. We streamed along the glowing ribbon of shop windows on Tutanakai Street in Rotorua. It was a rebellion. The darkness was for sleeping in, and the streets were for shopping on. Mannequins like tiny, giant Barbie dolls called to us from behind their glass as they always did. But we weren't listening. We were moving as far as we could to the paved edge of the lake where we pivoted and turned for home. She wanted to transform her body in the darkness. I loved her and joined her there. I grew up with women, mostly single working mums, who performed never-ending tasks to make safe and happy homes for their kids. But these women could not or would not be at home in their bodies. They were always trying to change their bodies. Because health and happiness were things you found within the lines of a thin body. That kind of body, that kind of happiness had to be fought for. The enemies in this battle were food and the bodies these women already had with their urges, their lines, their overgrown flesh. I remember two types of Sunday afternoon as a kid. One had me and my little sister Kylie holed up in our bedroom for hours playing Crash Bandicoot Cortex Strikes Back. Every once in a while, I would leave our dark cave to get a glass of cordial from the fridge and find mum at the kitchen table with other women. They'd come together, not to eat, but to strategize. It was a council gathering to decide how its members would transform their bodies. They were at war together. I poured a glass of cordial and lingered. There was excitement in the air. 
They were going to be thin. They were going to be happy. Oh, they were hopeful and determined. They were going on a journey together. These women, they could not or would not belong in their bodies, but on these Sunday afternoons, they belonged with each other. I loved the feeling of their togetherness. The kitchen table was scattered with what I now think of as strategy documents. Diet cookbooks, weight watches, point guides, order forms for diet shakes and charts the women had drawn up themselves. They called the charts healthy eating plans. Within the lines of one column, they listed the foods they would allow themselves to eat over the next week, so long as they completed the exercise requirements listed in the next column. If they didn't manage the exercise, they would replace at least one meal a day with a diet shake. I hung about, watching them pass the ruler around, and then returned to my sister Kylie, who was waiting. In our dark room, we resumed our Crash Bandicoot campaign. We took turns leaping over treacherous rat-filled pits and rainy jungles and navigating watery sewers where electric eels and rolling drums of toxic waste threatened to destroy us. I imagine those diets like the games we loved. It was necessary to fight off enemies in many different territories in order to succeed. I imagine mum fighting her way through pastel-hued birthday party worlds where she would swerve to avoid perils such as birthday cakes and sausage rolls. I imagined sunny summer barbecue scenes in which mum would somersault over bowls of potato salad and blast platters of buttery sweet corn to smithereens. When a woman completed her diet and won her ideal body, I imagined that real life would begin. The way Kylie and I rubbed our eyes and stepped into the sunshine after beating the game's final boss. In real life over the years, the lines of the women's bodies expanded and narrowed over and over again. Happiness didn't appear to arrive, whatever the shape. The other kind of Sunday afternoon had us all down at the Geyserland Country and Western Music Club, held in the Kahukura Rugby Club rooms. We loved country music in our family. Patsy Cline was our favourite, and we played her music so often that I pictured her as a miniature woman living inside our stereo speakers. Oh, I loved Patsy Cline because she sang about so many different things like cigarettes and God and heartbreak. Kylie and I were too young to sing songs like that, so we learned other ones such as How Much Is That Doggy in the Window and You Are My Sunshine. At the club, children always sang first. When our name was called, I took my shy sister's hand and towed her dutifully around the tables to the stage. After we performed, someone usually bought us raspberry lemonades and we sipped on these as we sat working our way through our colouring in books.
From time to time, I looked up from my pages of castles and fairies to the room full of people dressed in country and western outfits. I stared and stared at women dressed in velvet shirts and sequin dresses. Their sequins sparkled and their tassels shimmered as they walked around. The men walked differently. Their bellies were big and round and firm, with flannel shirts stretched tightly over them. I thought their bellies were like well-made beds, with the bedspreads neatly tucked in. When the men walked, their bellies seemed to lead. It seemed like the men simply followed their bellies, cheerfully, to the bar, to the toilets, to the stage. The best buckles had animals on them. When I collided with one of these bellies on my way to get more lemonade, I came eye to eye with wide-winged eagles, galloping horses and stags with pointed horns. One of the best things about the Geyserland Country and Western Music Club was the shared meal. When lunch was ready, the sliding window to the kitchen opened and a great cloud of fragrant steam rolled out. We all lined up and we were given plates of food by women in bright flowery aprons and flushed pink faces. We took our plates back to the tables, but never started eating until everyone had sat down and we'd said our karakia, which is te reo Māori for prayer. We paused, heads bowed over our Sunday roasts with the crispiest of potatoes, bowls of pork and puha, and mounds of steamed puddings in pools of yellow custard. Mum ate wholeheartedly, the karakia like a truce in the ongoing war. No mai e ngāhua o te wao, o te ngākina, o te waitai, o te wai Māori. Nā tāne, nā rungo, nā tangaroa, nā maru. Ko ranginui e tuihonei, ko papatuanuku e tākotonei. Tuturu whakamaua ki a teina, teina. Hui e taiki e. Welcome the gifts of food from the sacred forests, from the cultivated gardens, from the sea, from the fresh waters, the food of tāne, of rungo, of tangaroa, of maru. I acknowledge Ranginui who is above me and Papatuanuku who lies beneath me. Let this be my commitment to all. Draw together, affirm. Every family has its traditions. I loved reciting the karakia, but it was at the periphery of my family life. And I relished those early morning walks with mum, with their adventure and their intimacy. But those meanings were covered over by the idea that walking was exercise, and exercise was punishment or a way to earn food. I fall to pieces. <laughs>
each time I see you again, I fall to pieces. How can I be just your friend? You to act like we've never kissed you want me to forget pretend we never met but each time I go As I grew up, I joined the women at the kitchen table and went to war. I decided that country music was dumb, and I moved to the city and I took our family tradition of body hatred with me. I engaged with my body as an enemy. The tactics I used varied over time. Sometimes I broke my body into pieces evaluating and judging each one. I didn't see my body as a home, so I didn't care for it or make it comfortable. Sometimes I ate and ate to the point of illness. Other times I used tactics of manipulation, over-exercise and starvation. Five years ago, during a long period of starvation, I had become very alone. I carried my hunger around with me everywhere I went. And trusting my hunger more than my friends, I stuck to myself. My hunger was like an ornate golden buckle, only worn underneath my clothing, its value known only to me. But then the lines of my body started to narrow at a rate that frightened me. I sensed that health and happiness would not emerge from within them. I felt my first longing to withdraw from battle. I quickly learned that it wasn't going to be so easy. Weapons of surveillance, judgment and control had been like anchors for so long that it wasn't possible to simply let them go. My culture surrounded me with messages of encouragement to stay at war. But still, I felt this longing, and not knowing what else to do about it, I went online. I was fortunate to discover communities that had gathered around the body positive movement, and I learned about intuitive eating practices and mindfulness and meditation. The stories of strangers heartened me too. This was a good start. I was studying occupational therapy at the time. One of my papers was called Human Anatomy and Physiology. 
Every week we focused on a different system of the body, and to aid my memory, I invented a detailed fantasy world for each system. Throughout the muscular system, clay-coloured drawbridges swung across rivers of muscle fibre. The nervous system sparked and fizzed with blinking neon lights. The heart had chambers like a castle. Hurtling red discs tumbled through tunnels of arteries. I felt a sense of awe when I pictured the body's secret underground work and I knew that this awe would help me lay my weapons down. In the next semester, we learned how the body and the mind are often interrupted. Lecturers shared stories of clients they had supported, people whose lives had been turned upside down by injury, illness and disease. As the semester continued, I was struck again and again by the bravery and adaptability of people. Increasingly, I came to understand our bodies as fragile things, requiring care and understanding. I came to understand our bodies as things that wouldn't live forever. Every once in a while, I left the city to visit my family down in Rotorua. I found the women there still at war, still continuing to speak of their bodies with hatred, but now with my young nieces and nephews as an audience. My anger flared. I could not believe that this was our inheritance. And now there was a new loneliness. I chose to leave the room when the women started their diet talk. I couldn't belong like I had before. The anthropologist Tim Ingold, summarising the work of Marcel Mauss, writes that humans inhabit a fluid medium in which every being has to find a place for itself by sending out tendrils that can bind it to others. Thus hanging on to one another, beings strive to resist the current that would otherwise sweep them asunder, but in the midst of which they are nevertheless endlessly generated. The women in my family had learned, I think, to fear particular currents. They had learned to fear their changing bodies and were tightly bound together in this fear. Perhaps different groups learn to fear different currents. Currents of weakness, currents of failure, currents of ill repute. I still fear my body. I wish it wasn't so and it's tempting to direct my frustration towards the people who raise me. But there were many beautiful aspects of my childhood. Over the past few months, reflecting on family and foraging through the thick undergrowth of memory, I have found hidden treasures, hidden taonga. I had forgotten about the adventure of those dark, frosty mornings with mum. I had forgotten how our lips were used to form the words of karakia before food passed over them. Thinking back on the women gathered at the kitchen table... I realised I had discarded the beauty of their togetherness. I am learning to belong in my body and to be at home here.
But my body is not a home on solid ground. It's a houseboat. It belongs in the currents. Into the surrounding waters I have thrown my weapons of surveillance, judgment and control. They're not mine. They never were. Yet, a line will inevitably continue to connect me to these weapons. Into the water I have also dropped my recovered treasures. Treasures of rebellion, fragility, impermanence, reverence and awe. They're not mine either. They're ours. I now consider it my daily work to slacken the lines that stretch out to the weapons and to make strong the lines that connect me to those treasures we share and to draw them close because they anchor me differently. How does this daily work unfold? When I am alone, I say a karakia before I start eating. I thank the land, the water and the people whose energies have put the food before me. I thank my body for its secret underground work. I am still learning how I might share this ritual with others. After running, swimming or dancing, I place my hand over my heart. I do this not to check my heart rate, but as a gesture of thanks for my body and all that makes possible. When my feeble life is old, time for me will be no Thank you, Kirsten, for sharing that story with us. I find something new and healing in it every time I hear it, and hope you all did too. If you'd like to get a copy of the healing issue of Dumbo Feather, go to dumbofeather.com or find it at selected newsagents and retailers. This podcast was produced by Lizzie Martin, and the music you hear is by Dennis Liu. Stay tuned for our next conversation, or hear it first by subscribing to the Dumbo Feather podcast on your favourite pod channel.
For more conversations with extraordinary people, subscribe to Dumbo Feather at DumboFeather.com. We deliver worldwide. This podcast is sponsored by Seated Massage, a company that exists to help people feel fantastic about themselves and be more engaged with the world around them. Seated Massage provide wellbeing solutions to values-based organisations and their people in major cities across Australia through roving chair and table massage. Whether it's in your workplace or at an event you're organising, just a few tension-melting minutes of massage can relax bodies, quieten minds and enable positive attitudes to flourish. To find out more about Seated Massage and other B Corps we love, head to www.dumbofeather.com forward slash by better by bee.